uh, stressful cartoon. It's very soothing. It's like a, it's like it's like a like a warm bowl of soup. Is is that what we got? Is there like Peppa Pig is the British like uh, calm intellectual. Uh, mature enough to be realistic about you know role models and then here's good old american dora backpack 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 <laughs> backpack yeah exactly just hyped it's up a warm and- bath that puppet pig a warm bath um so hey everybody tertial radio it's your boy at 3k underscore here with joey at ellie rams 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 what's up jerky ah my dorks hello everyone no Robbo today. Robbo is in a different continent, and we don't acknowledge other continents here on Tertial Radio, so it's practically like he doesn't exist. I hope Robbo was able to follow the game, which we'll talk about in a moment. But um, so I see here we were talking, um, I, I mentioned that it's soup season, and uh, starting to no, kind of enjoy the why, why do you say it's soup season? Well, I, I feel like you're getting a little bit of a, of a letdown of the, of the heat. And you're starting to kind of sense October. Who's you? Who's this you that you're talking about? Uh, the, the the royal we. How about that? There you go. Yeah. Because it's 95 here today. It is not soup season in Texas. <laughs> I, you know what? I'm just tired of it being 95. So I'm just saying if I talk about soup season enough, maybe it'll cool down. Is that how it works? You just say soup and all of a sudden they're like, whoa. <laughs> I'm secreting soup season. Be the change you want to see. I'm ready for soup season. We're not close out here, but uh, I'm eager for it. Is, you, is there a go-to soup in the O'Coin household? Well, I definitely got my stock pot. And I would say that I'm a big fan of the crab bisque, which is not, I wow. guess, techn- are we going to call that a soup? Well, excuse, excuse me, raised pinky jerk. Right? Well, you know, if you get the canned crab. Uh, it's affordable. It's not. It's not that. It's not that big of a deal. Um, but it's it's definitely creamy and uh, get get a little bit of a kick in it. I'm a big fan of that. But I also um, for a wedding gift we got French onion soup bowls. You know, it has to be a specific shape with a kind yeah. of round handle on the side, yeah. and that gets messy. But I do enjoy a good French onion soup. It's great. It's one of my favorites. Do you do you like the creamier, thicker soups, or do you like the thinner, brothier soups? I would say th- the thicker. I'm I'm like like my go to soup is a, a cheddar broccoli soup. You know, one that has like a Ooh, nice yeah. thickness, almost like clam chowder. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you've got that just caked on big spoon with the cheese and the and the goodness. Um, yeah, want- that's a very NFC North soup. Yeah. That's a good Minnesota Vikings Green Bay Packers soup. Exactly, it's creamy and cheesy, like the Midwest. Like like people from the Midwest. Um, there was another big thing on Sunday mm-hmm. uh, in Los Angeles. Certainly something that you and your ilk cared about. And that was the Emmys. What did you think about the Emmys? Because I didn't think about them. I didn't know they were last night until my wife. Yeah, I don't care about the Emmys. I don't care about any music or any award show that isn't the Oscars. Mm-hmm. For some reason, I have reference for the Oscars. I follow it. I enjoy it. I eat it up. I defend it. Everything else... I don't know. With, with with the Grammys, I I barely even care about the music that they're celebrating. So I kind of feel on the outside looking in there. With the Emmys, I just think it's a flawed system with TV because oftentimes they're just celebrating the same shows over and over again. So it just feels re- repetitive. And I don't really care that much unless you have like a you know horse in the race and there's like your favorite shows coming in. But it just it just feels a little bit like there's so many shows now and it's just i don't know it's too much doesn't mean anything yeah I, one of the things that's weirder to me is now 
that, that like when we grew up the emmys were a television award i don't know that they are anymore because a lot of the stuff a isn't even on television mm-hmm. and b a lot of people don't watch it on television it's kind of it's kind of you know morphing into a content award which I, I, I can get behind a content award because we're pretty we're pretty close to like uh honoring memes you know what i mean <laughs> like the emmy yeah. for best eight second short goes to joey with augie in fart frenzy <laughs> like, <laughs> like at some point we're just getting there's still going to be the big prestige shows and mm-hmm. you know i know game of thrones won a bunch of awards and stuff okay. like last night but I, I do like the idea that eventually it's just going to be a Netflix, you know, 10 second cartoon that dominates the Emmys. Well, and I think the problem about the Emmys is they don't make or break any shows. It's not like any of the shows that are celebrated by the Emmys needed the Emmys for that win for people to get eyeballs on it. Like you're either going to watch Killing Eve or you're not. Just the fact that it won an Emmy, I don't think is as important as maybe, you know, people you admire are watching the show, people whose opinion you trust. I think is much more valuable for people watching stuff than whether it wins an Emmy or not. Which which member of the Rams was upset that like, oh man, we got to play the Browns during the Emmys. We gonna miss the Emmys. <laughs> Robert Woods, I'm, I'm sure Robert, Robert, Woods Robert is just a really really big fan of Fleet. I really want to see if Killing Eve wins yeah. Outstanding Drama. Man, that's a good show. I'm a big fan. He's an LA guy. Went to college USC. He's probably has his. Uh, his uh, fingers in the biz a little bit. I could see him like look, dude, doing. I just don't want to stand by any Sandra O. Slander, man. Leave her alone. She's a groundbreaker. Okay, come on, man. <laughs> a groundbreaker. Uh, Woods, I love it. All right, let's talk some football. Rams win twenty to thirteen. That was a weird, funky, Cleveland game, but we won, mm-hmm. and we're three and zero. It's been a weird, funky kind of start to the season, but. Uh, this was kind of a microcosm of that, I felt like. The more I thought about it, it was representative of what we've seen through three games, through 180 minutes of Rams football in 2019. We've had a little bit of time to digest. What do you think, thinking back on week three, Joe? Well, as close as a win could feel like a loss, this seemed to kind of <laughs> get to that surface. And the, the one feeling I, I've, I think I have today after the game is – the idea of other teams learning how to um, foil the offensive scheme of the Rams. And sure. it's, it's the six men across, or I think there's like a, a more apt uh, title for that. But um, really limiting those runs on the outside, they're kind of going to say, okay, well, we'll sacrifice other, other facets of, 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 of being exposed, but we're going to shut that down. And it's really kind of asking – Goff to really elevate or evolve his game, and and also I think for McVeigh to 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 uh, to evolve the offense. And I think there's been this question of like, is it play calling or is it execution? And Thursday of Time seems to be on the side that the biggest problem was the interior line play for the yeah. offensive line, and guys like um, Jamil Demby, Brian Allen, namely those two guys struggled pretty pretty mightily and there were some there were some kind of bad blown assignments and and things like that we'll get to golf later or in a moment but there was not not a um, not a, a, a sharpness to the offense and they kind of scraped together 20 points but yeah. i think i think 
to me, what we should be talking about is Aaron Donald. Yeah, no, he is fantastic. Let's save him for a little bit once we get over the golf hump. But they, certainly, I think part of what made it interesting is that the Browns didn't have any of their starting defensive backs. And yeah. so people really wanted to attack downfield. And obviously, in order to attack downfield, you need to let golf drop back and take some time to let guys go downfield. And Sean McVay did not want to do that. And I think the question was why. And I think you got a pretty obvious answer in the first half. And that was the interior line. They did, And the number of guys that the Browns were sending, there were multiple plays where they sent six players, seven players in, on the blitz. And sometimes we only had five or six blockers. And of course, the problem, uh, I, I'm assuming that our listeners can do basic math. If they send six guys and we only have five, six is more than five. That's some Paw Patrol math. That's some Peppa Pig math. Um, that means somebody's coming in for free. And, uh, you know, Jared Goff is now an extremely well-paid component to this team. You can't run many plays where he's going to face that kind of punishment before you figure out something to do that negates that kind of punishment, especially on a week three Sunday where we saw six new starters right across the league where Ben Roethlisberger's out and Cam Newton's out and uh, Drew Brees is out. You got a bunch of guys that are already injured. You don't you don't want to subject Jared Goff to the kind of hits that could lead to something like that. So what do you have to do? You have to contract the offense and try to find ways to keep it tight. And and unfortunately, you have to try to figure out how to run the ball. And through the first half, the Rams absolutely struggled with that. Todd Gurley was not getting going and we weren't seeing much Malcolm Brown. And it, it was a, it was an interesting game plan. It really felt like some older game plans. Uh you know, pr- pr- prior to the Jeff Fisher era, you know, the old Scott Linehan teams and some of the teams we saw under Steve Spagnuolo, where you really had to contract the offense. And it, it looked like they just weren't comfortable trusting the offensive line. They got better in the second half. We unlocked a little bit more in the running game, and that made things a little bit more comfortable. But I don't know. Th- this was a weird one. And, and when they didn't have their starting defensive backs to not be able to attack that, it's one of those things where I think they got to have some talks among that offensive line group as to why they didn't get going until the second half. Uh, better to have them get going, though, than to not. But, you know, you got these young guys that are reacting to things and figuring out how to get them to, to summon some better play uh, earlier on in games is probably going to be necessary uh, if the defense isn't going to hold up their end. But let's be honest, the biggest narrative out of that this game is going to be Jared Goff. Um, he wasn't good. Um, he hasn't been good this season. And I think there's some, what's the right word? Hey, I mean, it goes back to last year with the Super Bowl and some of the things that people, uh, you know, a lot of Rams fans felt uncomfortable with, with Sean McVay, you know, designing things and the whole system quarterback thing. But Jared Goff just hasn't done anything through three weeks to shake some of that criticism and make people who were maybe more apprehensive of buying in more comfortable with him being our franchise quarterback. Yeah, and he looks good on a highlight reel. So I think that there's a casual bandwagon Rams fan who's watching the the highlights of this game and seeing him complete these passes to Brandon Cooks and kind of thinking, well, he actually looks pretty good to me. I don't understand this criticism that people are throwing at Goff. But when you watch the game, it's a different story. But it's, I think, interesting that, to me, I think the book on Goff right now, I think the biggest, if you had one word to describe both the pluses and minuses, I think it's inconsistency. 
yeah. more than anything yeah. because you can't say that he's lousy and he doesn't understand the offense because sure. he definitely has glimmer longer than glimmers. He definitely has big moments where he's great. He can make some big time throws and he showed that on Sunday night. For sure. But he also showed the, the, the decision making is these these kind of bad throws that you know maybe he wishes he can get back. But yeah, I like the fact that he doesn't seem like he becomes more tentative, that he shrinks in the moment. He, he keeps trying to throw those throws. And we we forgive that when it's more of a gunslinger slinger type guy with, with Baker Mayfield. We did it with Brett Favre. We're doing it with Patrick Mahomes. If they do throw, have a bad throw and they'll It'll be an interception. We kind of think, ah, that's what you get when you're a gunslinger. When you're a maverick like that guy, you, you got to just let it fly. But with Goff, I feel like we don't think he's that type of quarterback. So we kind of think like, oh, maybe he can't cut the mustard. Maybe we overpaid this guy. Uh, he threw two interceptions, like a lot of hand-wringing. And maybe it's because you're only getting two touchdowns. If you're getting four touchdowns, you'd be like, ah, take the good with the bad. Well, it's, what's funny is yeah. he got lucky not to have four interceptions, right? He he, he threw four interceptions. They ju- they didn't come down with them. Exactly. But I didn't feel like any of those throws were like, where are you throwing it sure. to? Like it sure, always sure. was was bouncing off some guy. Like, yeah, maybe it, the pass was off, but it wasn't like he was just throwing completely to a defensive back where you're just right. like, I don't even know what you're thinking, dude. You, you, you saw what he was doing. And, and he, he, he missed – but it wasn't like this this margin that was like incredible. What I like about the ver- the idea of him being able to shake things off, I, th- I think maybe with, with some other guys they shake it off. I think with Jared, he just doesn't care. Like like you could have Pat uh-huh. Mahomes like, hey, you know, I just uh, just glad to move on to the next play and put it behind me. And yes, like Jared Goff, he's like, what are you talking? Wait, what, dude? I didn't oh, know. I, I didn't I know totally what happened just now, that. bud. I was in a fugue state, bro. I was. I don't even think out. that one counted. Do do second downs count? I don't think. I think those are like practice downs. Yeah, I think that was. I think we're in like in freebie time, where you just kind of call like a couple, like a minute or so, where just you know we're just chilling out and and, and playing some some foosball. I'm gonna use a mulligan on that one. Can I have that <laughs> back, please? Thank you, bro. Bro, uh, Higgs, uh, hook me up with a with a mully. Hold power and reset at the same time. I think it will trick the game. We get to do it again. It's unsaved. It hasn't saved yet. So if you restart now. Dude, awesome. we're hacking this game right now. We're, yeah, Kaufman, we're, we're uh, it's, it's tough because the inconsistency is the maddening thing. Um, and it's great that he doesn't allow, you know, bad throws and bad outcomes to affect him. But you want him to use that trait less, right? You do, part of overcoming mistakes is that there are mistakes to overcome in the first place. And I, you know, it's, it's tough because his physical skill set is so good and he can make all these throws. The one thing I'd say that I was really, and that, that he's been great with is his pocket presence. And Chris Collinsworth was talking about that at one point, uh, he's got these real subtle moves where he can navigate the pocket without doing a ton. It's just subtle yeah. steps where because he's not an incredibly athletic guy. We saw him, he went giraffe mode a couple times. Um, mm-hmm. He's not, you know, the most mobile guy. But so so for him to navigate the pocket, it's not going to be, you know, the Russell Wilson, Pat Mahomes, Baker Mayfield running around and escaping, you know, with his jersey being pulled. Jared Goff can't do that. But when he's got that good feel for the pocket, he doesn't need to. And it, it's really yeah. important for him because some of those, those subtle moves set him up to make throws where he would just take one or two steps, uh, you know, towards the towards the tackles and all of a sudden he had this room to uncork a throw 
Um, and he did. And so overall did pretty good. Uh, we talked about the O-line. We talked about golf. We got to throw it in there, man. Cooper Cup is getting better. Um, yes. And I, and maybe it's because Jared Goff is so comfortable relying on him that he knows he can fall back on that frequently. It's it's starting to feel like Cooper Cup is maybe one of the better players on the team in a, in a way that we weren't necessarily comfortable pointing out. Let's say last year. Yes, and all three of the receivers are excellent route runners, right? right? Like that was the whole book on Robert Woods that he could run a really precise route. I think Cooper Cup is giving him a run for the money because he's really smart and he really understands the position like a coach. That was what you know McVeigh was talking about when he came out of the draft. And I want to talk about those two touchdown receptions real quick because that used to be, I'll use an old an old phrase, the bugaboo of McVeigh and the offense was that they struggled in the red zone. Yeah. And it was interesting how easy these plays seemed to come for the team. That all throughout every other facet of the offense, it seemed like they were pulling teeth to move forward. They were, you know, getting a first down off third down. But when he rolled out, which is another facet of Goff's game that I, I thought was really good is when he was just kind of getting out of the pocket and, and he was, he was on the move in the, in the back. And when he, when he hit a cup on that, um, on the, on both receptions, it didn't feel like he was threading the needle. It just felt like yeah. the, the play that was called was just the right play with, with what they had with the offense and, and the right guy. The right now guy Michaels was marveling on, on the play design after yeah. one of them. He was yeah. like, Oh, that play design is something else. And he, and he had a point. I mean, in one way, it looks really simple. But when they're all lined up at that bunch and then Cup just kind of um, rolls out and he was just wide open. But the way Goff handled it, I mean, it's again, it's kind of how people are criticizing Clay Matthews for getting a coverage sack. Sure. It's like, hey, man, you know, it's like it's a slam dunk. You, you got you got to still dunk the ball. You know what I mean? All right, here we go. This one's going to be a little uncomfortable. Todd Gurley. At halftime, he had 10 yards on five carries. He finished the game with 43 on 14 carries, which meant he got another 33 yards on nine carries in the second half. The offensive line had a lot to do with that. They were much better in the second half, but they kind of had nowhere to go but up after that first half. How do we want to qualify Todd Gurley's first three games of 2019? Because obviously what happened down through the playoffs and into the Super Bowl, we were concerned. Uh, I don't know that he's done a ton to allay those concerns unless you were so worried about his injury that you were like, I don't know if he can ever run again. Well, he can clearly run. I think the question is, can he run as well as he used to? And is he doing that through three? I don't think he is. I think a trend that's kind of fascinating is that he's used more predominantly in the second half in two of the three games. I I don't remember the first game, but it felt like last night when the second half started, it felt like there were like oh, we have Todd Gurley on our team. And then I felt like the first three plays of the drive, they were running Gurley. And it just seemed like they were more like, let's just ride or die off of Gurley. But it seemed interesting that he's having stronger second halves. That's probably just a coincidence. But that's what McVeigh was saying in his little halftime talks when he's talking about like, oh, we really got to use the the run more. And you're kind of like, well, I mean, you're just not running him. I mean, maybe – you, you get spooked because it was a maybe you know only one yard here or two yards there, but I felt like they weren't consistently running the ball at all in the first half, and so we're yeah. then left to come up with these conspiracy theories, you know. Um, and real quick, w- one of my biggest sort of uh, takeaways from Gurley yeah. 
was less that and more the fact that he was no longer a pass threat. That used to be a big thing that he was in the past couple seasons. It's like, oh man, he catch the ball. He's a double threat. This is going to be awesome. And I think got through it to him and I like hit him in the numbers and it just was this sort of like, why are you throwing the ball to me? I don't do I've that grown, anymore. I'm a different Todd. I've grown Jared. into somebody new. No, uh, Todd had one target. Um, he had one target in week one against Carolina. Um, and like you said, he's just not being used that way. What's strange is a lot of people got upset that we were running these bubble screens in the first half. And again, that was trying to deal with the blitzes that the Browns were running against us. If you remember when the Browns called their screen against our blitz, how perfectly that worked. Um it's just one of those things. If you're overloading a blitz from one side and you call a screen to that side, you're going to have success with it more often than not. We just didn't find the right timing to run our screens of the blitz. But what was strange was we weren't screening to Todd ever. Um, I don't know. I don't, I don't know why that is no longer in the playbook, especially on a night like last night where you thought it might've been the right time to run him on a couple of screens to deal with those blitzes, but it didn't happen. Um, I don't know. It's uncomfortable. I think that's going to be a bigger topic moving forward. I think obviously the Jared Goff stuff kind of dominated the night, but I think the Todd Gurley narrative is going to be one this week. The other narrative, I think, if you're saying Goff number one, maybe Gurley number two, may- maybe Gurley number three, because what might be number two is we've got three games now to start this season, and it's it's maybe uncomfortable to say it like this, but are the Rams a defensive team now? I think so. I think that they have invested – in their defense, a lot of these guys are third round picks, uh, second round picks with Taylor Rapp and John Johnson the third, Taylor Rapp. Those are two young guys that we got in the draft Lord. recently that are turning out to be stars of the defense. And then you added that to our free aqu- free agent acquisitions and Marcus Peters and Akeem Talib, Eric Weddle. You got some, you got some hot shot dudes out there, Joe, and. They're playing. Fantastic. They're playing fantastic. They they limited the Browns to thirteen points yeah. and the Saints to nine. That's and stupid good. We also have Clay Matthews on the team, which some could argue that maybe he's overrated in the way he's playing. But he's getting these coverage sacks. He's getting these blown assignment sacks. But to a casual fan, for a guy that's famous who's in Campbell Soup commercials, soup season. That sure. it's nice to have a famous player get a splash play, a sack, but something that you're like, oh, look, he's yeah. doing good. He got a sack. He has more sacks this season than he did last season. So that that's a fun stat that you can play with. But it makes the, it makes the team look like, hey, we do have an outside linebacker. We got Clay Matthews. Look, he's filling out a stat sheet like a good linebacker. What's strange is it's it's not getting helped much by the offense. Here's one. This is cribbed from a Bill Barnwell story on uh, the surprising and not surprising components of all the three and O teams in the NFL. Uh, the Browns had three drives from the 38, 43, and 49 yard lines from their own 38, 43, and 49, and then the one uh, at the end of the first half after the strip on golf from the Los Angeles 18. Those four drives produced a total of three points. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. It's Shout fantastic. out to the defense. They're yeah. Good, yeah, they're doing really, really good. It's uh, impressive. Um, the good thing is, we one thing we're not talking about, uh, we talked about the impact of the guys that we're missing in Higby and Austin Blythe. There's not a lot of injuries, man. This is We're, we're talking about an NFL going into week four. We just saw the impact for the Browns. Look how long their injury report was. We might get you know Higby or Blythe back this game. The Rams, yet again, one of the healthier teams in the NFL, knock on wood, knock on plastic, knock on your 
uh, whatever. Um, yeah, we're doing great in the health department. Yeah, Coach Reggie. Reggie, we love you. Never leave us, Reggie Scott. You're doing um, great. Give him an award. I think trainer of the week. something. Yeah, like a trainer award. Do they have those? The trainees? Anyways. They did. He got the trainees. He got the, they got it uh, two years ago. Or no, it was 2016. Wait a second. Let me get my years right. It was 2015. Because what was funny, that was the year that Case Keenum had that uh, concussion at the end of the game against the Ravens, and they ended up getting the award th- that year. But I think they've kind of validated it since then. So maybe it was a it was a premature trainee, but they've deserved it every year since. Nice. What's the what's the theme song for the trainees? It's the trainees. Stretching out before the game, the <laughs> trainees are the same when you're healthy. Or it could just be the Karate Kid theme, the you're the best <laughs> around. Nothing's ever gonna, Nothing's gonna ever keep you down. Did you watch the, the week three game in Tampa Bay with the New York football giants? I saw some of it. I saw the Daniel Jones scamper at the end. Uh, I was red zoning it, so it was whatever. I was at the whim of uh, not Siciliano, what's his name? Um, Scott Hansen and his crew uh, wrapping us around the NFL. Yeah, let's do a little NFL wrap around. It was it was interesting, man. What do you think about the NFL watch? New York City, the NFL through week three. Who was Oh, that was old Johnny Munt. What did Johnny Munt think of this game? Too much forward <laughs> passing. These lads are going to get wrapped up on their own. <laughs> what do you think about the NFL in week three? Well, I mean, I think the narrative of like the backup quarterback is like yeah. a little bit overblown. I think it's a kind sure. of a more of a of a coincidence in a short span of time. But we're always we're always going to have dudes that go down. And my quest for every team to have a good quarterback is uh, definitely being challenged because you start seeing stuff like the way the Atlanta Falcons struggled, and you're like, hey, it's like Matt Ryan pretty much done. <sighs> like, is he going to be their quarterback? Next year or like the week, the year after that, you start to see the, the the clock ticking a little bit in some of these situations. Like you saw the way the Carolina Panthers were able to show that they have a lot of talent. They don't need Cam Newton. It's not like they're Cam Newtons and a bunch of dudes. Is there Christian McCaffrey and a bunch of really good yeah. players so they could win with a back? With it's not even a backup quarterback now. It's almost like your second quarterback. Yeah. As I heard someone talk about that, and and I feel like that's how you kind of have to look at it. It's like the next man up with a quarterback. Every team seems to have better backup situations. Not all of them, New York Jets, but the, the Saints, by getting Teddy Bridgewater, really saved their season because, I mean, before his knee exploded with the Vikings, they thought they were going to go to the Super Bowl with that guy three seasons ago or four seasons ago. So it's not like he's just some some journeyman quarterback that can't put it together. He just coming back from a really bad knee injury. So there's that narrative, but I kind of felt like Sure. The Daniel Jones thing is kind of overblown right now is because anybody, any rookie can can put together some good games that are exciting. Baker Mayfield. I think it's interesting to see what happens once teams figure them out and come up with defensive schemes for them, which I think is kind of happening with Baker Mayfield. You get a book on him. You go, hey, he holds the ball too long. Let's Let's focus on that. And it's – I felt like you – like – it still feels like it's the preseason that like they're just playing really hard. I feel like the New England Patriots almost look kind of like just unstoppable. So there's I don't kind want to of talk about them, like, Joey. I, Let me stop you right I there. I don't want to talk about the Patriots ever. <laughs> I was a little disappointed with the Baltimore Ravens. I was buying into them. 
And while I was watching that game, I thought I thought that was really interesting to see how that kind of came down to the wire. The Chiefs are super strong. I think I think the Ravens are still good. It's they, yeah. they just you know they're playing on the road. They're playing in Kansas City, which is always tough. Um, I'm interested to see if if the Dolphins are as bad as we think that they are because everybody they, just loves to have like a sure thing loser. Spoiler alert: They are. Yeah, but I I think they can maybe win two games. I don't think that they're going to be this 0 and 16, 0 and 16 Whoa, team. I don't, think, I don't think they're the worst team ever. Yeah, that as some people. I mean, they're jumping ship. They're, they're a mess. It's so sometimes it's kind of fun to watch. But you saw that the Cardinals look beatable. The Seahawks look beatable. Um, yeah, that's an interesting really, one. The Seahawks, right? Yeah, um, yeah. That was their is. first loss. Yeah, and you got uh, you know, their, their coach getting whacked in the face. What Pete was Carroll? that about? That was Who's throwing footballs at Pete Carroll's face in warmups? What are you doing? That's an I've... old man. What are you doing? Like, that's one of those things where it's like, you need to be aware. Like, Wade Phillips is literally 90 years old. Mm-hmm. Be right. careful. What are you guys doing? But you like push him and he can just break. <laughs> he can just burst into a bunch of bagel bites. What are you people doing throwing <laughs> balls at Pete Carroll's? Uh, the Panthers one you mentioned was interesting, if only because, remember, they started out 6-2 and two last year, finished 1-7 <laughs> and seven as Cam's shoulder was giving him problems. They didn't have Kyle Allen to go to. Um, so yeah. I thought that was interesting that uh, they went that route and, and had some success. Granted, it was against the Cardinals, and their defense is not very good. The offensive line is not very good. I feel for Kyler Murray. He's fun, but... They got a lot to work on. The Daniel Jones thing was kind of, you know, the bar was so low for the Giants that, uh, you know, any anything that looked close to competency was going to be celebrated. And when you get four touchdowns in your first game, obviously they're going to freak out. What I think was more interesting about that game was Saquon Barkley got injured. And I think it yeah. kind of proved the whole narrative that people have talked about, including yours truly for years, about running backs. They're not mm-hmm. that important overall. Man, Saquon's a phenomenal running back. And yet, what are we talking about this game? Daniel Jones, he's a great quarterback. Oh, now the Giants offense looks good. Well, you just lost your best player. I guess yeah. uh, we're going to not gloss over that one. One game you didn't talk about that was really interesting, Houston Texans, Los Angeles, Chargers. 27-20, mm-hmm. Houston wins. They go to 2-1. and one. Chargers are 1-2. and two. They keep doing these slow starts. They're a talented team, even without Melvin Gordon. Eckler didn't have a great, excuse me, great game, but, man, Houston looks good. And to get that win on the road, they catapulted themselves. Granted, we're talking about the other conference, AFC, but they get the Panthers and Falcons at home now. They could uh, jump out. The other team that uh, I think is jumping out that they're surprised about that we talked about uh, was the Buffalo Bills. They're now three and zero, and they keep get yeah. they got this soft schedule where they could get five and one real easy. They they got this home game against the Patriots next week. That could be really interesting if they stay in that game and make a game of it into the second half before they go to the Titans and then the Dolphins at home, maybe the Eagles and Washington at home change things where you could see this team racking up a bunch of wins. They could get real interesting real quick. man. Real quick. Yeah. And, and the Steelers could maybe turn around their season now with the momentum that they have from Mason Rudolph. I mean, there's some stuff going on. And what was interesting about watching the game with the Giants and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers is that that team, the Buccaneers, they have, they have a pulse. They can score and put points on the board, and they were really giving the Daniel Jones. I mean, they felt like they were sacking that guy a lot. Like their defensive line is no joke. They're just they're not a they're not a joke on defense. They can um they can get to the quarterback. So looking to week four, where the Rams are going to be hosting the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, I think that's going to be interesting to see how our offensive our offensive line deals with the um 
the defense of the Buccaneers. What, what, what do you think about the uh, the Bucks defense? It's funky. I mean, they added Devin White. Uh, they still got uh, Quan. They got a bunch of talent, but uh, I think I think it's going to be a, a little bit of an easier matchup, especially when you look at their secondary. But we're coming off a game where the Browns didn't have a single mem- starting member of their secondary. So I think maybe it starts, like you said, with the offensive line. We got to see how these guys do. And if we get Austin Blythe back or if it's going to be Jamil Demby again, and and maybe coming out of that second half against the Browns, maybe McVay has a little more trust. Uh, they, they're going to have to come out and earn it. If they screw up again in the first series or two, we may see something similar where we have to contract the offense and go back to some screens and try to figure out how to run the ball. Um, but maybe we get a little more trust and maybe we find a, a little more space to work with downfield for Brandon Cooks and Robert Woods and get Jared Goff uncorking some of those passes into the intermediate game. It doesn't have to be deep, but uh, maybe working the linebackers a little bit more than what we saw in the three. It'll be interesting. Fucking MacGyver.